Listen now for God's word to you. After a prayer of illumination, let us pray. Gracious God, your word is a light unto our path, a guide for our feet. Help us to be known in your word and to know through your word that we might rest and we might learn anew your grace for our lives. Amen. Today's scripture passage comes from Luke 13, verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed with the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I found none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, then you shouldn't. Then you can cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Just as a reminder, this is not the sermon that I put together in the last hour and a half. This is Jenny's sermon with just a few edits. Sometimes Jesus cuts right to the chase. In Luke chapter 12, just before our reading this morning, Jesus is teaching the crowds and answering questions about how to live a kingdom life on an earthly world. When some of them say, okay, but what about those Galileans? And Jesus must have either been able to hear it in their voices or see it in their eyes. He knows where this is headed, so he jumps right in. Oh, he says, no. Surely you are not thinking they did something to deserve this. Surely you are not thinking they have brought this upon themselves because of some sinful behavior. No, he says again, no. Their side of the conversation sounds awfully familiar to what the Russian Orthodox Church's Patriarch Kirill declared this week 
when he affirmed the Kremlin's military assault on the people of the Ukraine. He preached it was the result of the spiritual struggle against sin and liberal foreigners who pressure nations to hold gay parades. Meanwhile, over here in the United States, Pat Robertson of the 700 Club came out of retirement to go on air and verify with certainty that Putin's attacks were divinely sanctioned. Apparently, some religious leaders wish to suggest that this war is God punishing Ukraine for their growing ties with the West. To be honest, I, for one, as a pastor, have also grown weary of refuting such damaging theology. But Jesus was probably even more weary of it. So I'll just quote him. No and no. However, to the frustration and despair of disciples past and present, Jesus offers nothing further. He simply states that God does not work that way. No, he says, suffering should not be interpreted as divine punishment for any particular behavior. Unfortunately, he leaves it right there. He offers no further insight into why suffering happens. He gives no explanation for evil in the world. Just reiterates that it doesn't come from God. And then seems to change the subject. Telling a story about a fig tree that seems to be exhausted. Not able to produce anything right now. Now, a few reminders about parables. Jesus is in the habit of using them to make a point. But we aren't always 100% sure what that point is. Amy Jill Levine, a leading New Testament scholar, says, this is because there are endless correct interpretations to each parable that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. That if you ever reach the point where you think you have finally figured out the exact meaning of one, it's time to go back to the beginning. The beauty of Jesus' teaching in stories, he says, is that it allows us to find ourselves in the stories in different ways at different times. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, he says, and it had no fruit. So the man is ready to cut it down. It's taking up time and resources and space with no return on investment. Cut it down, he says, but the gardener intervenes. Give it a bit more time, he says. Let it be for now. Let me take care of it for a while conversation about suffering and evil in the world, followed by a story about resting. If you find this to be an odd pairing, you are not alone. And it's even odder that this pairing comes in Luke's gospel. All of the gospels tell us how Jesus is always on the side of the oppressed. Always 
finding the forsaken, always feeding the hungry, always looking out for whoever the world would rather overlook. But Luke is even more justice-oriented than the other Gospels. And so, for Luke tells us a story about making sure we understand one another's lives properly and interact with one another properly as a result. For Luke to tell us something about suffering without explaining everything about it and then just move along to a story on rest, it feels disjointed. To be honest, so disjointed, I might try to compose two sermons and mash them together. But Jenny is much better at this than I am. And she says, eventually I realized, I think that's the point. There is so much we are trying to hold on to right now. There's a world war looming, which weighs heavily, especially because we have access to seeing and hearing more about it, thanks to ever-increasing technology that brings the world into our living rooms, for better or for worse. There is COVID still, at least a little bit. There is a fatal accident caused by a 13-year-old driving in Texas, and legislation in Texas and elsewhere seeking to tell children who they are and who they cannot be. And then, of course, there's all the things that are personal. In addition to all that is global and national, there's a cancer reoccurrence. And kids who now don't have COVID, but now do have norovirus, and aging parents, and we're trying so in trying hard to get things to back to normal after two years. But also, have you, have you noticed how tired tired, bone-tired everyone is. There's unresolved tension in holding all of that at the same time. Just like there's unresolved tension in today's scripture. In trying mightily to resolve that tension, Fred Craddock offers, luck does not destroy responsibility by infusing grace nor does he destroy grace by infusing responsibility. As a theologian, he knows that any mixing of responsibility and grace or any attempt to average them out will result in that which is neither responsibility or grace. That tension it's not supposed to be resolved because we do not live in a world that is resolved. We need to know how to live in a world in which things don't make sense. A world in which very little is packaged up neat and tidy with a big old bow on it. Jesus left the larger question about evil and suffering hanging so that we might realize sometimes, not every time, but sometimes it's okay for us to leave things hanging too, when we need to, 
when that is our hearts and souls and spiritual selves need. Jesus knew that there would be times when the enormity of the suffering of the world and complications in our lives would threaten to overwhelm us and unglue us. Jesus knew there would come a time when we might need to be reminded that not one of us has to bear the weight of the entire world. Only one person in human history has ever had to do that, and he did it precisely so we wouldn't have to. He left the questions about responding to evil in the world hanging and started talking about how plants and trees and you and me are all worth more than we produce, more than we discover, worth more than we achieve, worth more than we understand, worth more than we resolve or problem solve, fix or don't fix. What would it be like for any of you who feel heaviness upon your shoulders or your spirit even now to pull back even just a bit, even just for a season, not suggesting you have to, just suggesting that if you feel like you want to or need to, Jesus tells us that is a fine and even faithful thing to do. And it's not that Jesus will tolerate you while you rest. Jesus will be with you and care for you and nurture you, protect you and shield you because you are worth everything to him just as you are. Because there's responsibility and there's grace, there's a call to action and permission to rest together at the same time. Now, something tells me that at least some of you are thinking, I love that idea, John, but it's not possible. It's just not possible. I suspect this about you because I recognize it in myself. Jenny shares this. The number of times I have told my therapist there's too much to do and not enough of me to get it done, she says, take something off the list. And I always tell her that's completely impossible. And then she walks me through every single thing I think I need to do, and she is unyielding until I acknowledge a few things that don't have to happen or a day that I can take off if I'm willing to adjust my priorities in the direction of rest just a little and annoyingly enough every single time she's been right. And I will add it's tough when the therapist is right. Jenny goes on to share this story. When I moved here from New York, my biggest, healthiest, most robust plants couldn't move with me. Movers don't move plants. 
So I packed a few into the car alongside the dogs, and let's just say that that didn't end particularly well for anyone, (laughs) plant, animal, or human. There are plants in South Carolina, though, so I was able to replace them with relative ease. A couple of them came from a home improvement store, and when paying for them, I saw a pile of plants that were clearly headed for the dumpster. They had endured some form of trauma, either in transit or in shelving, and their pots were broken, their roots exposed, their greenery fading. They were classified as unsellable and therefore worthless. I was welcome to take those plants for free. So I took a few of them home, repotted them, and watched all but one flourish in a matter of weeks. That one, though, languished. It didn't matter how much attention or inattention I offered. Water, sunlight, fertilizer, all in varying amounts, yielded no visible effect. It remained tiny and barren of leaves, I nearly threw it away multiple times, but while it didn't seem particularly alive, it didn't seem entirely dead either. This went on for over a year. Then, a few weeks ago, seemingly overnight, one stem shot up more than seven inches. And at the end of the stem was a brand new leaf. That leaf, though, is brown. It hasn't grown any since its arrival into the world. It's still smaller than my smallest fingernail. By all appearances, it's not fully committed to sticking around. Nevertheless, after more than a year of nothing, there is something. And just so you know, this isn't the last we hear of fig trees in Luke's gospel. We're in chapter 13 now, and in chapter 21, Jesus tells another parable. Look at the fig tree, he says. As soon as it sprouts leaves, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. Of course, there's no way to know if it's the exact same fig tree in question. It probably isn't. Maybe it's even better if it isn't, because there are no leaves on that tree right now. But Jesus has no doubt they are coming. They will be a sign of the kingdom, he says. You will know that everything is going to be okay, that the kingdom of God is at hand when you see those leaves. Even then, he isn't worried about the fig, the fruit, The leaves will tell you, he says, there will always be signs of life that are not dependent on you. Thanks be to God for that. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.